0: FT Weekend Food and Drink is supported by Plymouth Gin. Hello, FT Weekend listeners. I am here to welcome you to a special mini-series of bonus episodes. For the next four weeks, as we inch closer to summer, we will be publishing four short conversations on a topic that's near and dear to my heart, food and wine. For each episode, we're featuring a different expert, The next one is with world-renowned sommelier Andre Mack. He's going to tell us exactly how wine has gotten so much cooler and more accessible over the past 10 years. But today, I am talking leftovers with the chef and food writer Tamar Adler. I love leftovers. And Tamar recently published this incredible cookbook called The Everlasting Meal Cookbook, Leftovers from A to Z. It basically helps you take whatever you already have in your kitchen and then make a second meal out of it or a third or a fourth meal out of it. The book reads like an encyclopedia, and it's organized by each type of leftover. And it has over 1,500 little recipes. How to finish a bag of wilting spinach, how to finish half a burrito that's sitting in your fridge. It's kind of ridiculous, and it's perfect. And it follows this philosophy that runs through all of Tamar's work, which is that it's better to use what you have already than to buy new every time. Her writing and this cookbook have totally changed my pattern of cooking. Okay, let's get into it. This is FT Weekend, the podcast special edition. I'm Lila Raptopoulos. Enjoy the show. Tamara, welcome to FT Weekend. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: In your intro to The Everlasting Meal, you wrote, Great meals rarely start at points that all look like beginnings. They usually pick up where something else leaves off. And so I've been thinking about this idea of, like, a a meal that's everlasting, that it's, like, kind of in conversation with the thing that happened before it. And you don't have to start new every time.
1: Yeah, like, it's building. I mean, we're—and, you know, we know that life is like that, right? Like, Mm. we don't start new every day. We are an agglomeration of all of our days and all of our minutes and Mm -hmm. everything that's happened to us. And I feel like it's weird that in the kitchen we act as though— that should not be true when that has always been true Mm -hmm. in the kitchen. A lot of our best known, most loved dishes were created because of this like saving away and bringing Mm -hmm. out again and starting with that. And I think it is much easier when you let it be true of the way you eat on a day-to-day basis.
0: I would love to know the process for you of figuring out a recipe for all of these leftovers, and the cookbook is so much fun. It's very wild. It's Thank like you. A, it's not a normal <laughs> cookbook. Like it's a to z, and you sort of flip through it. And there's obvious ones like old potatoes or like herb stems, and then there's like very niche ones like um, chickpea water is a good egg substitute, which I didn't know, or like clam shells or stale popcorn. <laughs> uh, yeah, what was the process like?
1: I literally had a spreadsheet for every letter of the alphabet of potential leftovers or leavings. And I would cook my way mm. through it. And some things didn't make the cut because after going through a whole process of cooking it, I realized they weren't ever going to really be a leftover. And then some things didn't make the cut because they were gross. Not gross because they were old. Gross because like I couldn't figure out a good reuse for them.
0: I used a cookbook the other day with an old salad, like a dressed salad that I'd put in the fridge. It was a fattoush salad. And I did what you told me. I put vinegar and some olive oil in there and some garlic and some more herbs. And I used an immersion blender and I blended it and I made a salad salad dressing. Oh, you did? Okay, how was it? How was it? It was good. It was good. It tasted kind of like pesto. And I put yeah. it on a new salad. I mean, it kind of is a version of Pesto, Did I you guess. leave
1: the pita in there or take it out? Uh, no, I didn't. And I okay. had some halloumi
0: in the salad that I didn't put okay. in there either. Good.
1: Yeah. It was good. It was yeah. good. Salad, salad dressing. I'm so glad.
0: There was nothing that felt more rewarding to me oh my than, gosh. than using an old right? salad yeah. as a dressing on That's a new like, salad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I felt, I feel like I talked about that on the radio recently as the mother and child reunion. And I think it counts <laughs> as that, like the, the chicken and the egg dancing a waltz. It is. (laughs) I do think that's very satisfying. I'm so glad that you did it. Great. If you have any more of that, you know, green puree, you can use that for other things. Like you can put some of it in sour cream as like a little dip or, you know, Mm -hmm. the world is your oyster.
0: Yeah. Tamar, how many times can you use a leftover? Like when does it start to go gross?
1: You have to trust your senses. Yeah, I think we have to stop doing the like, three day thing. I mean, I did say in I I made a rule once in the book, which is Mm -hmm. that rice can be fried twice. That's my own personal rule. It's an aesthetic thing, not like a universal (laughs) thing. But I have successfully fried rice twice. And then the third time I turned it into a soup. I just Mm -hmm. have found that like, the amount of fat that it takes to like, by the time I'm frying it a third time,
0: It already has so much fat in it.
1: I just want it to be stewy. It's so flavorful. It ends up being a little like too intense. But that's also just me. You know, that might be a different rule for people. But I think it's really important to not have rules and to just to taste and smell and touch. Yeah. What kind of soup did you make it into? It's in the it's in the book, but it's (laughs) I make it into like a a rice stew. So I'll make um, like usually dashi because I, I often keep instant dashi around, which I'm sure has like, I don't know all kinds of chemicals in it and stuff. But um, it's delicious.
0: Yeah. Dashi is like a Japanese stock, right?
1: Yes. Dashi also is just kombu and bonito. So it's like very simple to make. This is like simplifying the already simple. But I will make very simple stock and then pour that into the twice fried rice in a pot and heat it up together. And it's like delicious rice stew. It's great. Yeah. It's so good. It's like the best soup ever.
0: Tamara, I have to ask, like... What is an example of a leftover that you just couldn't figure out? Like you couldn't reuse?
1: I mean, there were tons of things. I really thought I was going to come up with something great to do with a large amount of bacon fat. You know, Mm -hmm. like when you do have bacon fat, you have like a ton of it. So
0: much. Yeah.
1: And I didn't. I still, I mean, you can always strain it and fry in it. Just strain it very, very well. But other than that, it was like small amounts. When I tried stuff with large amounts, it was just not delicious.
0: The other thing that I struggle with, and I'm curious how you think about it, is like sometimes I'll look in my fridge and I'll think like, okay, I'm just in an ongoing balancing act or juggling act where I have all this food and it's going bad at different rates. And how do I waste as little of it as I can so I'm not throwing food away? Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if there's like a way to think about our fridges or even a way to think about how we shop for food that helps make that easier.
1: The first thing I would say. Is buy less.
0: Buy less, yeah.
1: I think people like buy such a huge variety of things uh, for totally good reasons, like, right, to like be healthy and have a wide variety of fruits and vegetables. But I I don't think that we should buy that much. It's easier for you as a cook and easier on your fridge and your conscience if you actually let inventories run low so that you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, I don't have any rice, so I'm going to use that farro. I don't have any stock, so I'm going to use the farro liquid. Yeah. You know, I don't have any sauce, so I'm going to use the chicken soup that I made with the farro liquid to, you know, to start a, a pasta sauce. And that's how invention happens. I don't even think you have to like necessarily invent anything. You could certainly use this book or a bajillion other books, but I think it's much harder when you have these things that you always buy. Just don't buy them. I think salad greens are a great example. I would If you find them often going bad, don't buy them. And then when you really want a salad, make a salad out of what you have in your house or get greens then. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, You're changing. (laughs) I'm thinking about how full my cabinets are.
1: Yeah. Run run them low. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm just really curious because you're such a great writer and you've been sort of a writer and a chef through your career both. Can you tell me a little bit about like how you move between those two sides of your brain like what is your relationship with writing versus cooking
1: cooking always feels like a physical thing to me i'm just like doing and i'm making decisions in the moment and i'm fully present and you know like when people talk about flow i think that's how cooking feels very very absorbing every now and again writing can feel like that too but you know it's it's an intellectual process for me Every time I've done one and not the other, I've been kind of miserable. So when I'm just working and publishing or writing, I feel like, why do I even have a body if I'm just going to be tapping at keys? And when I was just a cook, I felt like, what do I even have this brain for? So there's, right. a, there's a degree to which they sort of share the space where you know, interest and happiness and curiosity coexist. But definitely one is more like a more physical practice and one is a more intellectual practice.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. So, okay, Tamar, when I saw you speak a few weeks ago, we played this game and it was called the leftover game.
1: That's what I've been calling it, yeah.
0: (laughs) And I loved it. And basically people in the audience gave you leftovers and then you told us what we could do with it. Um, So I went on Instagram and I asked uh, our listeners if they had any leftovers that they were really struggling with. And do you mind if I throw a few? Oh my gosh, of course, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. All right. Um, one is Erin uh, Brown, who lives in Tunis. She says, already cooked pasta. It just gets sad.
1: <laughs> oh, amazing. I love <laughs> and that And I one. agree.
0: It also gets hard.
1: Yeah, hard and sad. The best thing to do is make a leftover pasta frittata. It is the most delicious thing in the world. It's so easy. Take the cold, sad pasta, beat three or four eggs, um, and season them, and then combine the two. Mix it all in. Um, heat a pan, Put in a good mm-hmm. deal of olive oil, pour into the egg mixture. As soon as it's set on the bottom, put it in the oven for about 10 minutes. And then it's so delicious. Any sauce, anything. So good. Okay.
0: Amazing. Great. Um, Matteo from London says, when I boil too much rice and then I have some of that left and then I have some random veggies in the fridge, it sounds very easy to just combine the two, but it's so boring you have yeah. any advice for making that exciting
1: yes mateo i think i think it's time for chili crisp <laughs> yes and yes. and and frying the rice i would first of all i would do a hot pan and fat i always say that a thing that i do to help myself with fried rice is that i often cut up a bunch of ginger and a bunch of garlic and sometimes even some scallion and combine it all together and freeze it
0: oh good so idea. when i
1: want to make or like you could do that in ice cubes or you could just do it in a little a little bag and then like chisel off a little bit so mm-hmm. then heat a hot pan you can add a little bit of that straight from the freezer and you have this super flavorful beginning then you add your leftover rice let it get mm-hmm. all fried and crispy then you add your vegetables and then you add your chili crisp
0: right yum that-
1: yum yeah
0: Laura Hope, a friend of mine, Laura Hope from D.C., she says leftover fish, mostly because I feel like it gets fishier and then I don't want it. Also, reheating fish is a crime to those who can smell.
1: I couldn't agree more. Um, (laughs) I like to flake it immediately. So before I put it away, flake it and add a bunch of olive oil and maybe some whole or lightly crushed whole spices. So it's first of all, it's now protected from any further oxygen. It's not going to go fishy. It's also marinating in oil and becoming super mm-hmm. delicious and then the next day you can toss pasta with it you don't have to heat it up again let it come to room temperature toss it with pasta and herbs it's great or you can combine it with any dairy like cream cheese and use that as a dip or a spread or you can just put it on like toasted peasant bread with um mm. you know bread with a clove of garlic and you just have like mar- think of it then as like um olive oil packed tuna right right homemade Yum. yeah
0: yeah Yum. Okay. Um, last one is this one's mine. I had a leftover deli
1: sandwich. (laughs) Amazing.
0: Um, and, uh, I didn't, I looked at it and I thought, I don't know, not today.
1: I have a recipe. (laughs) I think it's called cheesy, savory bread pudding. And I kind of want to look it up, but I,
0: okay. We're both looking through our copy. Page 368.
1: Okay. Cheesy, savory bread pudding.
0: Cheesy, savory bread pudding. That sounds actually amazing. Wow. Okay, so this is this asks for this bread pudding recipe asks for 8 cups of cube sandwiches, two eggs, some liquid like stock or milk or cream and um sliced celery and leek or onion and salt. And you just make it like a bread pudding? Yeah. So
1: good. It's so wow. good. Wow.
0: You just take a deli sandwich and make make a bread pudding out of it. Of course
1: it. you can. So you you're not going to have if you have like half a sandwich, you'll probably have less than 8 cups of cube sandwiches. Just make it smaller and do it in a small gratin dish.
0: Wow, (laughs) that's amazing, (laughs) Uh, Tamara. This was such a delight. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. That's the show. Thank you for listening to FT Weekend, the podcast from the Financial Times. This was the first of our special mini series about food and drink. I have dropped links to everything mentioned today in our show notes, as well as a special discount to a subscription to the FT. I've also shared a piece that Tamara recently wrote for the FT Weekend magazine of her dream dinner party. It's really good. We would love to hear what you think, as always. You can email us at FTweekendpodcast at FT.com. You can say hi on social media. We're on Twitter at FTweekendPod, and I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Lila Rapp. I spent most of my social media time talking to you guys on Instagram. Next week we have sommelier Andre Mack on the show. I visited him at one of his restaurants here in New York, and he had incredible advice about how to taste. This episode was produced by Zach St. Louis, executive produced by Topher Forges, and sound engineered by Breen Turner and Sam Javinko, with original music by Metaphor Music. Have a wonderful week, and we'll find each other again this weekend. It's summer. And you know what that means. It's time for a Plymouth Gin and Tonic. So grab yourself a glass and some ice. Start with a pourer of Plymouth Gin, which is distilled using a blend of seven botanicals. Add in some tonic, then finish with a slice of orange. Now that is the perfect gin and tonic. Plymouth Gin, distilled with care and craft in England since 1793.